This is Pastor Stuart McClellan from the Altoona Bible Church greeting you. The warm-hearted church with a heartwarming message, the family church. In light of the coronavirus pandemic, we will be bringing you a special service. Sing with us, pray with us, and follow the message in God's Word. And truly, we pray that these songs and the Word of God will bring much comfort and joy to your hearts. Listen now as the choir will open our service by singing, I'm standing on the solid rock. Now have Nancy McClellan playing on the piano, Come Thou Fount.
And now John and Penny Harris will come and sing, Jesus, draw me ever nearer.
Here now is Randy Bickle playing on the piano. There is a Redeemer. Now we have Lucinda Richardson coming to sing Still. I believe that you are God alone. 
But sometimes I still try to take control Cause I get scared when I can't see the end And all you need from me is to let go Your parting waters making a way for me Your moving mountains that I don't even see You've answered my prayer before I even speak All you need for me to be I want to thank our musicians and singers for providing us with such beautiful and Christ-centered music. And certainly it is our prayer that the music, the words from the Word of God, will provide encouragement during these difficult times. Our sermon topic is the Book of Acts, the transitional. The nature of the Book of Acts, it's transitional. And it's a continuation for what we were talking about last week. This study is an overview of the book of Acts, and its concentration is to highlight the transitional nature of Acts. Remember, we defined the dictionary definition of the word transition is transition means movement, passage, or change from one position, state, subject, concept to another. 
First of all, we've laid out four important words. Revelation, inspiration, preservation, and illumination. Inspiration, the words where God breathed. Preservation is what happened to those words. God has watched over those words. God has protected those words. And illumination is from the pages of the scripture to our heart, to our mind, so that we can live and serve God. We studied and gave biblical reasons why the church, the body of Christ, could not have started the day of Pentecost. And typically, this is where most individuals, Christians, dispensationalists, believe the church began. I want to share with you and read to you from a one-volume commentary concerning the interpretation of Matthew 3.11. And I will just simply tell you the commentary is from a leading fundamentalist. Here are his words. This is concerning Matthew 3.11, the interpretation of Matthew 3.11. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost, refers to the spiritual rebirth of the regenerate, who shall receive the baptism of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12.13, which clearly indicates that all believers have received the baptism of the Spirit. This experience began at Pentecost and was repeated on every new group of converts, the Samaritans, the Gentiles, John's disciples, until it became normative for all Christian believers. Did you catch and understand those words? The author is saying the baptism of Matthew 3.11, where the word of God says, He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit is equal to the words of 1 Corinthians 12.13, for by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. If the baptism of Matthew 3.11, He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, is the same baptism as 1 Corinthians 12.13, for by one Spirit are we all baptized into the body. And this occurred on the day of Pentecost, and this is supposed to be the beginning of the church. Then what about speaking in tongues? Shouldn't tongues be the model for all believers today in the dispensation of grace? How can anyone teach this baptism places you into Christ, but then say, well, tongues is not the norm for believers today? And you might be thinking, so what's the answer? Well, first of all, these two baptisms are entirely different. The one who is doing the baptism, why they were baptized. The baptism of Matthew 3.11, Acts 1.5, was a dry baptism, and it was for power. It is so clear. The Word of God is so specific. It was for power. Listen to the God's words. Luke chapter 24, verses 47 through 49. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in His name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry, wait ye, in the city of Jerusalem, until ye be endued with power from on high. Acts chapter 1, verse 5. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Verse number 8. Now I'm encouraging you to be following along in your Bible or writing these verses down so that later you you can study this out and see what the Word of God says. Verse 8 says, But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. 
It was clearly experienced by the believing nation of Israel. This baptism was not for positional truth. Positional truth would be identification into Christ, into the body of Christ. It was for power. Secondly, the baptism for the church, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, was for positional truth. And through this one baptism for the church, the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit baptizes all believers upon faith in Christ into the body of Christ and into complete and absolute identification with the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and Colossians 2, 10. This dry baptism involves positional truth and not experiential truth, not truth for power, as we are baptized into Christ. Romans 6, 4, and 5, Ephesians 4, 5, the one baptism, Colossians 2, 12, and Galatians 3, 27. This baptism was not for power. It identifies the saving believer, the saving individual who, who trusts and believes in the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ into Christ. And lastly, the baptism of Matthew 3.11, which was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, was done by the Lord Jesus Christ. John is saying, there's one who comes after me who's mightier than I. The one who is coming after John, who is mightier than John, was the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, that was for power, and with fire, that was for judgment. There are three baptisms in Matthew 3.11 alone. So that's what we need to understand. When you look at the issue concerning 1 Corinthians 12, 13, this was done by the Holy Spirit of God. One was done by God the Son, one was done by God the Holy Spirit. How can anyone teach and believe that these are the same? And then concerning speaking in tongues, hopefully later in this study, we will understand why they are not the norm. I know there are some people who still believe and think tongues is for us today. No, they're not the norm in the dispensation of grace. And it can be understood by the words now and then in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 to 13. Those who do accept the Acts 2 position for the beginning of the body of Christ might quote and use Acts eleven fifteen to prove their point. Acts eleven fifteen says, And I began to speak, and the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. The word beginning here is not a reference to the beginning of the church, the body of Christ, but to the beginning of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Verse 16 says, Then remembered I the words of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Because under John's baptism, they were baptized confessing their sin, but there was nothing about giving of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 3, 6, and 7. Those believers during the Old Testament times of the earthly ministry of Christ who had the Holy Spirit up to the day of Pentecost, were not the rule, they were the exception. Now, returning back to our study on the transitional nature, again, remember the, the definition, the dictionary definition of the word transition, the transitional nature of Acts. In Acts chapter 1 to 12, it's Israel. It's the 12 apostles until you have the death of James in Acts chapter 12. Speaking in tongues is there. Acts chapter 2, verse 4. Acts chapter 10, verse 46. Absolutely. Water baptism for salvation. Acts 2, 38. Look what, look what Peter said the day of Pentecost. And the, the baptism there was for, absolutely, for the remission of sin. Because that's an agreement with the words of Christ in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. That you would be water baptized for salvation. 
Acts 2.38 says, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Well, that's not what Ephesians 1.7 talks about today. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And remember, in John's baptism, there is no mention of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Miracles. Acts chapter 5, verse 12, By the hands of the apostles were signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Verses 15 and 16. Insomuch they brought forth the sick in the streets and laid them on beds and couches, and at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. And there came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, because the message is spreading, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one. Every one. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, baptism, and then you receive the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 4, with Cornelius, Acts chapter 10, verse number 44 and 48, they received the Holy Spirit, then they were baptized. Then we think about Acts 13 and 28, the Apostle Paul's three missionary journeys. Water baptism, Lydia, absolutely. Acts 16, verse 15, the Philippian jailer, Acts 16, 33, signs. In Acts chapter number 19, verse 11 and 12, Ephesus, the handkerchiefs. And we see this in Acts 19, 11. And God wrought special miracles by the hand of Paul. There, there are miracles there. Miracles were going on by the hand of Paul. So that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. In Acts chapter 28, verses 8 and 9, on the island of Malta, remember the Apostle Paul is on a boat, on a ship. He is going from Caesarea to Rome because he appealed to Caesar. And there's a shipwreck on the island of Malta. Verse 8 and 9 says, It came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, others also which had disease in the island came and were healed. Yet in the full dispensation of grace, there's no direct gift of healing. We know we commit everything to God in prayer, absolutely. But there's no direct healing from man to man. There's no miracles going on like what the apostles were doing in Acts chapter 5 and the apostle Paul was able to perform. Water baptism is not required for salvation today. And you might be asking, what happened? Why the change? This is a transitional nature of the book of Acts. Remember, again, what we talked about. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans to Philemon. If after John you had the book of Romans sitting there and the book of Acts was found later, say just right in front of the book of Revelation, how do you go from what John is saying in John 4.22 that the salvation of the Jews... And in Matthew, where Christ says, I'm only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel to the establishment that Gentiles are being saved and the establishment of churches made up of Jews and Gentiles. The book of Acts is there for a reason, folks. You have the four Gospels to the left. You have Paul's epistles. Then you have the later circumcision epistles, Hebrews to Revelation. And you have like the book of Acts as a, a bridge between the Gospels and Pauline epistles. That's the transitional nature of Acts. Is the book of Acts a part of the inspired, inerrant, infallible, preserved word of God? Absolutely it is. But can a believer in the dispensation of grace base his whole doctrinal beliefs on the book of Acts? No. 
or from the book of Acts, no. Of course we know that Acts 5 teaches that the Holy Spirit of God, that's not what I'm talking about. In the book of Acts is a transition from the prophetic program, the kingdom program, to the mystery program, to the church, the body of Christ. Look at it this way. The central goal of prophecy of the Old Testament was the kingdom. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, you had the smiting stone. And the smiting stone comes and destroys that image that Nebuchadnezzar dreamt about. And those were Gentiles from gold dealing with Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar. The King Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. And there was another inferior kingdom, another inferior kingdom, and it goes down to the fourth kingdom, which is the kingdom of Antichrist. And that stone, that divine stone that was cut without man's hands, smites the image. The image is pulverized. And that stone then becomes a great mountain and fills the whole earth. And that that symbolism of becoming a mountain is dealing with the millennial kingdom reign of Christ, and the stone is Christ. And yes... I believe in the Altoona Bible Church, it teaches premillennialism. And there are some individuals who laugh at that and scoff at that, and they believe in all millennialism, which says there is no kingdom. We're already in the kingdom of God. The Word of God is clear on the position of premillennialism. Daniel 2 is teaching premillennialism. And then if you go to Matthew chapter 4, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And during the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, the kingdom was at hand. It was within their grasp. But it was never offered to Israel. It could not have been offered because you do not have the death of Christ. And following the death of Christ, the burial, the shed blood, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ gave commandments concerning the kingdom. He was on earth for 40 days. He didn't teach about the church, the body of Christ. He didn't talk about Jews and Gentile joint heirs in a body in the mystery. Acts 1.3 says, To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen to them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. The Lord Jesus Christ had given commandments. Those commandments the Lord Jesus Christ had, had given are usually referred to as the Great Commission for the Church. And they're found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, and Mark 16, 15 to 18, and Luke 24, verses 46 to 49, and John chapter 20, verses 21 to 23, and Acts 1 8. They should not be referred to as a Great Commission for the Church, but clearly those words were a kingdom commission directed at the believing nation of Israel. A greater commission was given by the risen and glorified Lord Jesus Christ from heaven, given to the church, and that's found in 2 Corinthians 5, 14-21, the mystery dealing with the message, the ministry of reconciliation. So when was the kingdom offered to Israel? If you read Acts chapter 3, verses 17 down to verse 26, God is offering the kingdom right here. We're going to read part of these verses of Scripture, verse 17. And now, brethren, I want that through ignorance ye did it, as also your rulers. Verse 18, but those things which God before has showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer. Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That Christ should suffer, verse 18 says, he has so fulfilled. The message, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ. That's the second coming of Christ. And send him back, which was preached unto you. 
Verse 21, whom the heaven must receive to the time of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Verse 22, for Moses truly said unto the fathers, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me, him shall ye hear in all things, and whatsoever he shall say to you. Verse 24, Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Verse 25, You are the children of the prophets. How could the church, the body of Christ, start in Acts chapter 2? And and there were no Gentiles saved, by the way. Please understand that on the day of Pentecost. And say the church began in Acts chapter 2, but in in the very next chapter, in in Peter's second Pentecostal message, he says, you, Israel, are the children of the prophets and of the covenant, which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, and in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed, unto you first. God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you, and turning away every one of you from his iniquities. What is Peter doing? He's offering the kingdom. The kingdom was at hand. It was prophesied in the Old Testament. It's at hand during the earthly ministry of Christ. It's within their grasp. And now Peter is offering it because you're after the death, and resurrection of Christ. And what was Israel's response to God's offer of the kingdom? Acts chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And as they spake to the people, the priests, and the captain of the temple... And the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Literally, as, as Peter is preaching that second Pentecost, because there's really no chapter break. If you read the end of Acts 3 and see the context of Acts 3 with Peter and John going to the temple and healing the lame man and then taking the opportunity as the lame man is running around and Israel is standing there in bewilderment, He's preaching as he is preaching. Read the verse of scripture. They came, these individuals, the, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees came upon them. That would be Peter and John being grieved. They're not applauding them and saying, praise God, you're preaching this great message. They're grieved. They're grieved. And what happens? The apostles Peter and John are in prison. Then you see the raising of the council. Read these verses. That's Acts four thirteen to 16. Their conclusion of the council, they commanded them not to preach nor teach in the name of Jesus, Acts 4, 17 and 18. Then later on in the book of Acts and Acts chapter 5, they arrest all, all 12 of the apostles. Then you have the supernatural deliverance and the power to keep preaching Christ. And again, they're, they're, they're threatened. And what, what's Peter's response going to be? That classic response, we have to obey God rather than man. And then ultimately you see the stoning of Stephen. What's, what's their response? Their response to God is no. And you see this in the parable of the nobleman, Luke 19, 11 to 15. Read it. In the parable, his citizens hated him. The nobleman goes to a far country to receive the authority to return. And while he was gone, his citizens sent a message after him saying, we don't want you. His citizens hated him. Well, the citizens in the parable of the nobleman are the unbelieving nation of Israel. The nobleman is the Lord Jesus Christ, and the far country is in heaven. Also, you can read Luke 13, 6 to verse number 9, the parable of the fig tree and the one year there. Now, let's look at Acts 13 to 28. Saul is saved. In Acts 9, on the road to Damascus, Syria, 
God raises up, his name is changed to Paul. He is sent out then in Acts 13 as the apostle of the Gentiles and the apostle of grace. And we see there that is his first apostolic missionary journey. He leaves Antioch, Assyria. He's going to go to Cyprus and go to north. And he's going to go into what is modern day Turkey. He's going to go into Antioch and Iconia. Antioch of Pisidia, Iconium. He's going to go to these areas, and you can see the, the cities and the regions there by going back to Acts 13, Acts 14. You can see what happens to him at, at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. And what we understand is God raises up, he is sent out as the apostle. He's not continuing, some people think he's continuing the message of the kingdom and the ministry of the twelve. No, this is a brand new message. And in Acts 13 to 28, you have six epistles that are written. God, through the Apostle Paul, it's not what Paul says, it's what God says. First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, and Romans. And all those epistles are written during the Acts period. Acts 38, and when we get over, read First Corinthians, it's now and then. And then you see you have the Apostle Paul's early ministry. And during the now the time of the writing of 1 Corinthians, that Acts period, Acts 13 to 28. Read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. You have the revelatory sign gifts were still in operation. Tongues, prophecies, knowledge. Why? Because the perfect did not come. The Apostle Paul would receive part, but not all of his message. It's glass darkly. It's childish things. We'll see that in 1 Corinthians 13 when we read it. Tongues. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 to 11, and 1 Corinthians 14, 23 to 40. And in fact, with tongues, it, it was very specific. You had tongues and you had the interpretation of tongues. And if you came to church, the church of Corinth, and you had the gift of tongues, and you saw that the person who had the gift of interpretation was not there, so you knew who he was, what were you to do? You had to remain silent. You weren't to speak anything. So yes, tongues was the operation. Do I accept and understand that? Yes, it was the operation during this time. Again, it's going back to the transitional nature of Acts. And again, when we say that, we're not saying that Israel then became the church, the body of Christ. Remember, there's a difference between the nation of Israel and the church, the body of Christ. We do not believe and teach replacement theology here at the Altoona Bible Church. So we see these things, healings, Acts 19, 11, and 12, as we said, in chapter 28. Then you see the then, now and then, later, after the close of the book of Acts. Remember, the book of Acts abruptly closes with Paul enduring his first Roman imprisonment. And people will say, well, the book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. Some people will even say that the book of Acts is still being written today. No, it's not. It's complete scripture. And it's not the Acts of the Apostles because the Apostle Paul, after his first Roman imprisonment, he continued on, a missionary continued on in going to new areas. And later then, he is going to be rearrested, second Roman imprisonment, and he's going to be beheaded. I'd like to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through verse 13 again. You'll see now and then. Charity never faileth. Whether it be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether it be knowledge, they shall cease. Whether it be tongues, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, we'll talk about the perfect, then that which in part shall be done away. When as a child I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, 
for now, when this book was being written, and again, during written during the Acts period, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then, face to face. And now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I also am known. Verse 13, And now abideth faith, hope, and charity these three, but the greatest of these is charity. The revelatory gifts have stopped. They've ceased. There's, there's no tongues today. There's no, there's no healing. And we talk about that, we're talking about the gift of healing. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20, Radis abode of Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at my let him sick. If Paul could heal on, on the island of Malta, in Acts 28, why didn't he heal Trophimus? He leaves him sick. Because the then came. There's no tongue. There's no speaking in tongues. Tongues were a human language unknown to the person who spoke it. Today, when missionaries go to foreign fields that speak, say, Italian or Spanish or Portuguese, what do they have to do if they're Americans? They've got to go to language school. Well, if you had the gift of tongues in the operation today, you wouldn't need that. You could go directly there. When we talk about now and then, the then, the perfect had come. The Apostle Paul had received the complete message. The completed message, and in Colossians chapter 1, verse 25, he fulfills the very word of God. It's as it were, face to face. Be men, no tongues, no healings. It's in God's hands. And again, think of these, think of these words here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I'd like to just read verses 8 through verse 10. Charity never faileth. That's love. Never fails. And, and, and again, we think of 1 Corinthians 13, and we know when a couple gets married, 1 Corinthians 13 will be read, and we, know, we understand the definition of the word love here. But the context, look at the 12th chapter, look at the 14th chapter. The context is not husband and wife. It is talking about, in the context, the, the, the Corinthians were seeking after tongues. They were seeking after these gifts. And that all the they had all the gifts. You go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you will see this. But that did not produce spirituality in the life of the Corinthian church. And the end of the 12th chapter, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. And the more excellent way was love. So love never fails. But whether there be prophecies, they, they shall fail. Whether it be tongues, they, they shall cease. Whether it be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, verse 9 says, For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is calm, then that which is in part shall be done away. Let's just look at the words there in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 8. I just want to share something with you. Because when you understand this, and you understand the now and then, and when you understand the perfect, let's, let me just preface this. The perfect is not a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll probably say that again, but I want to preface this. Do I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ was God manifested in human flesh? John chapter 1, verse 1. John 1, 14. Absolutely. Did the Lord Jesus Christ sin? Absolutely not. And he could not have sinned because he's God manifested in human flesh. What does 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tell us? He who knew no sin... The Lord Jesus Christ, who did not experience sin, he who knew no sin, became sin for us. Why? The word that introduces the result clause, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And that's that imputed righteousness. There are three imputations in Scripture. And you need to understand those. 
and realize what those are saying and how God see when God justifies us, how God sees us today in the Lord Jesus Christ. We we confess that. But the perfect here is not a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. See, this is what some will say. Well, it's a reference to Christ. Since he hasn't come, then all these gifts are still in operation. That's not what this verse is talking about. And we'll explain that in a few moments. Just, just look at verse number 8 and follow along very closely. Prophecies. They, they shall fail. The tense of the verb is future. The voice of the verb of, pro, of prophecy failing the verb of that, the voice of the verb of the shall fail is a passive voice. The passive voice means the subject of the sentence receives the action of the verb. It's not in the active voice. It's the passive voice. It receives the action. This is a forced cessation. God stops this. Knowledge shall vanish away. And in fact, the, the word fail and the word vanish away in the original language is the same Greek word. Again, tense is future, absolutely. And again, the voice of the verb is the passive voice. And again, the subject of the sentence receives the action of the verb. It's a forced cessation. God stops this. Tongues. You want to, you want to see something beautiful? Shall cease. Different word, different Greek word for cease, then fail and vanish away. Again, tense, future, like the other two. Unlike the other two, which were in the passive voice, tongue ceasing is in the middle voice. Do you understand that we have no English equivalent to the middle voice? The active voice means the subject of the sentence produces the action of the verb. The passive voice means the subject of the sentence receives the action of the verb. The middle voice in the Greek language means the subject of the sentence, listen to this, acts for or upon self. This is a willing cessation. It will simply end of its own accord. So the perfect of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 10, is not the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not the eternal state, as some try to teach, nor is it a reference to the second coming or for the rapture of the church, the body of Christ. The word perfect is a neuter gender noun and not masculine noun. How could that be a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ? He is not an it. He is a, he deserves and is a man, the God man, and it would be a masculine noun. But perfect is in a neuter gender. The word perfect does not mean without sin or sinless perfection. That's not the definition. Do a word, I'd encourage you to do a word study on the word perfect here and see how it's used and in fact it's used in the very next chapter be men the word men is the word dealing with perfect it's talking about maturity that's what the word is and at this time you also have to understand at this time in human history mirrors were not made out of glass but brass and the city of Corinth was well known for making the best mirrors. And if a person came behind you while you were holding a brass mirror, you would not even be able to look in the mirror and identify who was behind you. You would have had to turn around and see them face to face to identify the individual. Now and then are adverbs of, listen, of time and not place. Did I, you hear what I said? Let me say it again. Now and then are adverbs of time and not place. 
1 Corinthians 13, 12 is not a reference about the relationship between earth and heaven. We love that hymn, face to face, and it's based on this verse of scripture. But this is not talking about going to heaven and being face to face with the Lord. That's not what this is. These are adverbs of time and not place. That's what we need to understand. It's about time. It means that during the infancy of the church, the body of Christ, that's Acts 13 to 28, now, God allowed the childish things. And what were the children's toys? The revelatory sign gifts. And they were in operation, and they were the order of the day. And that's why you read that one verse of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, where as a child I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put, I put away. And that word put away deals with the same word, uh, verb, as shall fail and vanish in verse back in verse number 8. But when I became a man, I put away the childish things. I remember many years ago, early in my ministry, I had a long discussion with a person, and he called me a child, because he believed in tongues and all these revelatory gifts were in operation today. God God stopped them. And again, if you understand what verse 8 is talking about, prophecies and knowledge was a force sensation. God stopped the tongues, just died of their own accord. So this is not, again, 1 Corinthians 13, we love face to face, but that's not what this verb is, and this verse is talking about. Not between earth to heaven, it's about time. And again, we have the infancy of the church, God allowed the children's things, the revelatory sign gifts, they were in the operation of the order of day. That's why we see it. That's why you see it, Acts 13 to 28. That's why you see it in those six epistles dealing with and that were written during the Acts period. But when the perfect came, the then, the completion of God's word through the Apostle Paul, the church, the body of Christ, moved from the childhood state to adulthood. Thus the childish things were abolished and rendered inoperative by God and tongues simply died out. They simply just ceased of their own accord. And you see, I'd like to read Colossians chapter 1, verse number uh, 25, and there you see, what, what, what book, what, what completes the word of God? Some would say, well, it's the book of Revelation or, or maybe, you know, Hebrews through Revelation, book of Jude. No, that doesn't complete the word of God. Hebrews to Revelation is not the general epistles. They are the circumcision epistles. They wait a future fulfillment and they will be fulfilled. Dealing with the tribulation, dealing with the kingdom. What, what completes the word of God? It's God's message through the apostle Paul. And you say, well, where do you have that to prove it? Let me read to you Colossians chapter 1, verse number 25. It says, Whereof I made a minister according to the dispensation of God. So the word dispensation is a biblical term. In Ephesians, it's the dispensation of grace. And again, dispensation does not mean God is changing in relationship to his divine attributes. Of course they never change. He's a God of love and truth and grace and holiness and righteousness. And he's the eternal God. They never change, but his dealings with mankind simply have changed. Look at the difference between law and grace. Whereof I made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you. What are those last words? To fulfill the word of God. And I absolutely believe 
that when you understand now and then and understand what was going on under the time of now and versus then, and when the then came, when you had the completion of God's word, those things that were the order of the day during the time of Corinth. Because during the time of, if you lived at the time of the Corinthian church, you would not have a complete Bible. You would, you would not have the books like First and Second Timothy. You would not, Titus, you would not have those books. At the end of Acts, you have Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon being written, and the others were written later. So what did God have? God had the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues to give divine revelation from God to man. Now we have a complete scripture. How does God speak to us today? He speaks to us through the very word of God. And this is why the book of Acts is in between the four gospels and dealing with Paul's epistles. Why is it there? Because it helps explain what is going on from God's dealing with the nation of Israel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Christ says in John 4.22 that salvation of the Jews. He came unto his own. His own received him not. And that's why the kingdom was at hand. It was never offered. And when I turn over to Romans through Philemon to the church epistles. I read upon the church the body of Christ. I can read in Ephesians chapter 2 that the middle wall partition that separated Jews from Gentiles, it didn't just gradually decay, it was abolished. And we are now joint heirs in a body. Oh, the Word of God is so marvelous. It's so wonderful. I, would, I, I pray that you read these verses. If you didn't follow along, that you wrote these verses down and you will later think on these things. This is what 2 Timothy 2.15 is all about. It's all about rightly dividing the Word of God. It's not changing. It's understanding the power of God's Word. It can't be based on just what a pastor says. It's not about me. It's not about any pastor. It's not about a church doctrinal statement. It's got to be based absolutely on the Word of God. But when you rightly divide it and understand the nature of the book of Acts and why it's sitting where it is, there's God's design. And you understand then. So someone goes wants to go to Acts 2.38 and says, this is what Peter said. Yeah, that's what he said. I agree with that. But that's not our gospel message today. Paul over in 1 Corinthians tells us he was not sent to baptize, but to preach Christ. Read 1 Corinthians 1, 16, 17, verse 18, the preaching of the cross. To them who perish, it's foolishness. To us who are saved, it is absolutely the power of God. If you're listening, you know not the you know not the Lord Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. Won't you trust Him right now, right where you're at, before it's eternally too late? God's salvation message is: believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. You're a sinner. Christ came into here's God's love. He died for you. That through His death, through His burial, through His shed blood, that you can have eternal life by simple faith. Won't you believe and trust Him? We see with what's going on in the world today the frailty of human life. Believe and trust Him. 
And if you've never trusted him, trust him right now. And for believers, you need to understand and realize that we need to be living and serving God today. And we do it by understanding right division. You've been listening to the Altoona Bible Church. We trust you've received a real spiritual blessing from this service. It is our prayerful desire that you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. So until we meet again by radio, this is Pastor Stuart McClellan from the Altoona Bible Church. Wish you God's best for now and for all eternity.